podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, I don't know if I can name 30 teams that are in the NCAA tournament. I know that you wrote a piece this morning for SB Nation about uh, March Madness. I don't know of the 64 now, because I think the play-ins would be the other night, I don't know if I could name you 30 teams that are in. We don't, yeah, we're not going to do this. We don't, like, I don't, I'm not trying to propose a segment or anything. I'm just... <laughs> um, if you're here looking for that fun crossover where college people talk about hoops for two weeks, that's just not going to happen. Nope. Yeah. Nope. And my piece wasn't even really about the tournament so much as um, Missouri's basketball program dying in the tournament five years ago. So it was it was a nice uplifting piece. I felt bad about putting it on Rock M Nation, actually. Uh, I get them clicks. Of, it, was got, it was kind of a trigger thing. But uh, regardless, yes, um, that was our discussion of March Madness. I... Uh, really stupidly predicted uh, in my bracket Villanova to repeat, even though teams don't repeat. But uh, I like three-point shooting, so there you go. Um, We've solicited for a lot of questions on this episode because we are in a little bit of a gulch. Um, It happens after signing day before spring ball starts. I know some schools have started practice. The spring games will start in earnest. Really, like, I think one or two have already occurred. I'm sure Arizona's done by now, but... Um, they'll start here in the next week or so. I visited one campus that I talked about. I've got three more coming. I actually leave as soon as we record this to do some campus visits. And then like end of March, we roll out some features on new coaching staffs. We're getting there. So we, we asked our beloved listeners and just people on Twitter, probably just throw questions against the wall and actually listen to the podcast. That's fine. Um, to give us, to, to, to really pick us up. So there's only one one set of footprints in the sand, so to speak, as we are carried to spring ball. Um, we're going to jump straight into questions. We are going to talk a little bit about what your path in the season preview journey. And let me start by actually let me start by this. Apparently, some listeners are too good for the phrase "ass end," okay, <laughs> or "assy." Assy, assy, yeah. Okay, well, which is which is sort of what I use to describe when we go from the top end of previewing a conference and, and even in the G5s, you know, talking about programs of substance and possible, you know, maybe not national title implication, but programs you should know about to the very bottom of a very bottom conference. Now, you got a tweet, was it last night from a listener? Yeah, it's, it's great. I'm just a little resentful that this is going to become lexicon. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to scroll up and find the tweet. It was... Um, Bill C. I mean, Whiplash, I believe. Bill, C. Bill C. Whiplash. I mean, it's not really catchy. I guess it's okay. I don't know if I like it, but um, the whiplash this week has occurred from going from where to where. Uh, this week it was going from Western Kentucky to finish the Conference USA to Buffalo to start the MAC. There's not going to be one better than going from Washington to Rutgers sometime in what would that be like late June, I believe. Uh, that's by. I, that's will it be waiting? Oh, hang on. Spoiler alert. Will it be Washington or Southern Cal? Or well, it's. I, there, no spoilers because it's based on last year's uh, S and P ratings. So oh, I thought right. it was. USC. I always ask you that. and I always forget. Oh, well, I, I thought it was USC. I, I, my first tweet yesterday said USC, but then I remembered that Washington held them off just a little bit in S and P. So yeah, it's actually it'll be USC one day, Washington the next, uh, and then Rutgers. So um, just be prepared for that. Be prepared for the late June whiplash effect uh, or whenever that pops up on the schedule. But, uh, yeah, so there's, there's that. And, and because Kansas – because this year um, the uh, – uh, man, I just lost it. So the independents will be going before uh, Big 12. Big 12 was the worst power conference this year, so Kansas will start the power conference season. So we don't have some sort of, like, USC to Kansas whiplash – but Rutgers really might have been worse. Might have been worse than Kansas last year. So you'll have like Army to Kansas. <laughs> Who would be? No, actually, because my numbers uh, got stubborn and, and continued to like Notre Dame, it'll still be Notre Dame to Kansas, oh, which okay. will feel wow. kind of right. Hey, Charlie. Um, there's not a lot going on, but there is a yes. little, and there are some very there's, brand, there's some very branded content. So we're yeah. gonna be fine when your questions are gonna carry us through this. Um, I guess I should do the read before we jump in. How do you feel about that? This podcast ain't played nobody. The college football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall and author of the forthcoming book, 50 Best. Uh, out, out. The book is out. What do I say forthcoming? I should say here coming, out, outcoming, 
available uh, available now. I don't know if it's available in stores because I don't know who bought it. But um, fifty best college football teams of all time. My name is Stephen Godfrey, and I still haven't received a hard copy of the book, Bill. Yeah, you didn't get one in New York last week or a couple weeks ago, did you? <clears throat> that was kind of the plan there, and then uh, they stayed in my backpack because I am awesome at this stuff. I'm not gonna read Kindle. I'm not gonna do it. Man, I only. Read I love Kindle you. Now. Really? That's I. Yeah, it 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 flipped over at some point, and I realized, oh yeah, this is way easier. Not good. Not good for your eyes. Not good for your brain. Okay. Well, how many hours a day are you in front of us? How many? How many hours a day are you in front of a screen? You're gonna tack on more time when you're reading. Get you some light. Get you some paper. Do it like the founding fathers did it. Okay. Yeah, the lighting in our bedroom kind of sucks, and then I, I can keep one hand under the covers because it's like fifty eight degrees in our house when we go to bed at night. So it's just it's just nice all the way around. That Crazy. and I really I read about thirty seconds a damn night. I am like thirty eight books behind. So um, I really can't really say I do anything uh, regarding books because I don't read books as much as I want to. Other than reading the 50 best college football teams of all time, Bill, what's on the nightstand real fast? We're going to digress into non-college football. You have exactly <laughs> 60 seconds. Go. Um, the last book by um, uh, 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 God. See, this is why I need preparation. Um, Pearlstein. Rick it's Pearlstein. on your nightstand. Well, I, I'm not him. I'm not... I'm not in my bedroom right now. Um, and as my wife can tell you, if things stay in the same place long enough, I'm like a T-Rex. I stop seeing it. Um, so, which makes her very happy, by the way. Uh, no, Rick Perlstein, his latest, uh, the one about the Reagan years, is uh, currently uh, on my, because my dad purchases those books. And that's an actual book. Now, at some point, I will probably cheat and get it on Kindle. But right now, is an actual physical book. Um, and then I got a bunch of stuff that I, I, I read a long time ago and haven't moved from the nightstand. So like Chris Brown's second book, for instance, is on there. Um, I'm not familiar with him. Yeah, whoever that is. Uh, yeah, well, and I didn't really specify one of the 38 Chris Browns um, is on there. But anywho. All right. Well, What's on your nightstand there, That's really engaging. Um, I have a bunch of journalism books, and I'm uh, rereading some old Richard Ford right now. So I have a journalism book about... Uh, two books. One's called Narconomics, which I uh, had put down and I'm finishing, and that's about the economics of the illegal drug business. Uh, one might say I'm using that book as a metaphor for a certain uh, less than legal form of compensation of student-athletes, one might say. Um, and then I'm reading a book called The Invention of Russia, which is about Russian media. And then I'm reading uh, Richard Ford, which I already said, which is, my, is the fiction. There you go. This was a thrilling segment. The book that has never really left my nightstand since I first bought it, by the way, would be The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin because I am a college football writer. I thought you were going to say the rules. Um, okay, Bill. We, we have an abbreviated show, by the way, today because I was a dumbass and didn't turn the light off in the back of the car uh, unloading pet food a couple of days ago and had to have the car jump this morning and Godfrey has a plane to catch. So, Here's the, uh, we've, so we've got a problem here. I solicited for questions. We got a bunch. Do you want to go rapid fire? Yeah, we probably should. Uh, yeah, there are a couple get, of these. Yeah, then we'll get to the Cusa Bridge on uh, into Buffalo, and I promise there's some relevance to that. It's not we won't go hard Buffalo. Although we, one of you asked, you had a Buffalo question that went unanswered. Today is your day. The sun shines on Buffalo. But don't really hold us to that until we get to the end of sixty minutes, having answered it. Because usually we say that stuff and then go, "Oh yeah, right." So yeah, we gotta go really fast. We even cleared it fast. Anyway, go go go. Okay, uh, Andrew uh, at forty two A L J asks: Is there any upside to Liberty becoming an FBS independent? Uh, because I don't see what they have to gain. Um, I'll do this one really fast. Probably not. It's gonna be super super hard. Um, obviously, look at FBS independents like. Army and BYU. Uh, there's also a UMass question about this coming up. In fact, we'll just lump it in now. Dakota Moyer asks, at Dak Moyer, uh, what's the status of UMass? Will they be forced to transition down to FCB like Idaho? And then a triplet here. Our friend, <laughs> yeah. our friend Matt Berry, uh, uh, Georgia fan and uh, long-suffering Atlanta sports fan alongside myself, at Matt Berry 5 asks, extremely PAPN question, who is the next Idaho? Okay, so there's a lot there. Um <laughs> UMass, in theory, is the next Idaho, except UMass has a lot more going for it in that they are in a much larger market. Um, they are able to recruit a little easier than Idaho. There is a denser talent base in the Northeast. Um, our colleague, Richard Johnson, 
is actually based uh, in Connecticut right now. I think he's going to be in the New York office soon. He has started to sort of explore the college football reach into the Northeast. It's not that it, like it hasn't ever been there, um, but what we are seeing, I think, is an uptick in talent and and scouting and the sport. Really, I think is is a little bit stronger than it has been up there. Now, those programs necessarily in like attendance and rating that may not reflect it. You know, when you pull those market ratings, it still says like the largest share for a play a college football playoff game is like Birmingham and Tampa St. Pete and you know New Orleans, Atlanta. Uh, that probably won't change overnight, but I do think that you're seeing some traction there. Um, so UMass will benefit. I think I think the sea or the floor, um, the ceiling's low, but the floor is a little higher in terms of an Idaho type situation. To me, UMass makes sense if the CUSA has to realign or loses anybody. That's the one yeah. that jumps at me right away, only because the CUSA, as we have seen, looking at more <laughs> like Charlotte, uh, they really like television markets. UMass has also shown, I thought. They're, they've been pretty sharp, and it shows some flexibility into moving games around in and out of Fenway and in and out of what's the Patriots Stadium, Gillette. Um, Gillette. That's a good thing. That's a smart thing. Um, they're they're doing that kind of in market stunting stuff. I think that should help uh, help them. Um, I don't necessarily think they're going to be any kind of relevant as long as they maintain independence. And it's not like they want to be independent. <sighs> I think it's probably a good idea for the Mac not to have them, honestly. And and to that end, we'll transition to Buffalo in a second. That you know, Buffalo is a little bit of an outlier in the Mac as well. I think the Mac's DNA. Well, I, no, go ahead. I think. Well, I, I think from a just it's not a directional Michigan, a directional Ohio, et cetera, school, but uh, it's not that far away from Akron right. and Kent State and all that. So bu- Buffalo has always confused me. It always feels like an uh, outlier, and and maybe in a lot of ways it is. But from a geography standpoint, it's really just it's fine. Uh, but UMass is an outlier. Uh, you need to add like you know Fordham uh, and a couple of other schools to kind of get a to draw a line out to UMass uh, to ma- have it make sense for the for for the Max. But so that one is weird. You do figure they're gearing for Conference USA. And by the way, as far as Liberty goes, it's the same deal. Um, they're basically I've, what, how I've always read this independent thing is just simply that they're going to go ahead and get this FBS transition out of their way, confident that they're eventually going to get like a Sun Belt invitation. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, that's, I, that's weird. I mean, that's a that's presumptuous. Yeah, and they bring some issues to the table, but that's that's probably the 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 most straight logic I can come up with for it. So there's a couple analogs that people like to make when they talk about Liberty, BYU, and Notre Dame. I don't know if that's fair necessarily because no. those programs came about and came of age uh, in a period in which the religious stigma associated with them in the eyes of certain school presidents or league presidents. Basically, they they created the politics. They weren't a victim of the politics. Liberty is an extremely conservative environment. I don't think that necessarily precludes precludes them, nor should prohibit them from having as much of a football or or college sports identity as they want. They should also not be shocked if that doesn't align with right. certain people's concerns. Um, we, you know, there there's no. Here's the funny thing: BYU suffers for this, right? And in a lot of ways, politically, can can tread a little lighter than than maybe Liberty could. But BYU also has real, real sort of functional problems with conference play. For instance, they don't play sports on Sunday. Um, they have issues with LG, LGBT uh, students. They have, and so on and so forth. Uh, Liberty is a little more nebulous. The problems are probably there in the same way. They, I think, would be willing to play certain games on Sundays. Um, this all makes partner institutions in places like the Conference or Conference USA or Sunbelt uh, a little wary. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's the case, and we don't know yet because no one's really going to speak publicly on this. Privately, I've, I've I asked a couple people very briefly, what do you think of this Liberty move? And a lot of them said, that's a bold direction, not sure how long it can last. Because we see BYU scrapping to put together. Was it last year, Bill, that BYU had the murderer's row schedule? It looked really good. The problem was they had just turned over a coach and they weren't in a position right. to go ten and two or twelve or eleven and one. I, I mean, Liberty. I, I it would be twenty years before Liberty had the clout to schedule. You know, if they stayed an in independent to schedule what six or seven considerable P five opponents that could build. Some oh yeah, resume. I mean they'll be they're in the neighborhood right now where they'll be thrilled to like randomly land an NC State um, or or something just like one. That would be a very big deal for them. And yeah, I mean comparing them to to. You know, Notre Dame, which got a 100-year head start on them, and BYU, which got a 40- or 50-year head start on them. I really, in that, I, I, 
I don't frame it in those terms because it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. The the yeah. one thing that makes sense to me here is that they really are just positioning themselves for a conference bid. I like the way you put it, though. Don't be surprised. They shouldn't be surprised if. I mean, I think that's the, the way to look at it. They're, they're positioning themselves. Great. They're being aggressive. Awesome. Don't be surprised if it doesn't work because of the other things they have going on. So, um, but hey, I'm all for it. When, when it's not my money and it's not my school or anything, anything like that, hey, roll the dice. I, I enjoy it. Um, not really a good answer for this, but just wanted to give it some love. Uh, Robert Baker at K-E-R-B-A-1123 asks, which was louder, Atlanta United's first goal or Georgia Tech over FSU in 2015? Ouch. Ouch. Our colleague Jason Kirk was at that game, the first United game in Bobby Dodd. Um, I didn't get to see it live, but I watched, I watched highlights and, and part of a replay on YouTube and... Bobby Dodd can Bobby Dodd can get lit. I think they just gotta have somebody do the litting. <laughs> so since we're in the speed round, I'm not going to digress into my normal complaints about what Georgia Tech could be or should be or might one day be. Um, oh, let's see. Even in my defense of Paul Johnson, I would say that the an option attack is also a slow burn. It's not a huge pops from a psyched up crowd kind of thing. It's a ha ha ha. We're going to slowly defeat you over time. Which yeah, you know, that's a very good point. I don't know if you get the moment of exultation unless unless it's the, the rare 36, 37-yard right. pass. Right. Or, I mean, obviously FSU, that was a, you know, I would say that was probably louder in the end. Who, but is, just the, generally speaking. who is the receiver who went to the Jets? Steven, um, gosh, help me, Bill. Oh, man. It was in the triple option era. Somebody's screaming at, the, at their at their podcast right now. And I'm, pulling, I apologize. I'm pulling up as fast as I uh, But as he had it just in a stupid, funny, like, per catch average. It was well over, like, 20 yards a catch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it was in the time that – Very big physical guy, about. obviously, because in that offense, the receiver has to just be – Stephen Hill. Stephen Hill. Hill. Thank you. Um, Lemon Tree Records, at Lemon Tree Rex. Um, is that a record label or a record store? If it's a record store, I'll give it a plug. Okay, it's a community-minded DIY label featuring Righteous uh, yeah. Tunes. Um, give that a plug, too. Yeah, absolutely. Check out Lemon Tree Records. I'm just guessing there's probably some punk on there, so I'll probably listen to that. i probably listen to more punk than people realize. Um, thanks for writing in. He has, um, first off, never apologize, and nothing is off-brand. He says... Um, da, 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 da. I know that PSU isn't on brand for PAPN. I take issue with that. He's talking about Penn State. <laughs> but maybe a deep dive into the receiving core will make it more your speed. Uh, will Irwin Charles or Juwan Johnson place Chris, replace Chris Godwin's productivity at wide receiver for Penn State? Um, so, no, we usually aren't. The only person I know that can do this habitually, Dan Rubenstein comes close, but I do think he does his homework in advance of the questions. And then uh, Braden Gall over at... Um, serious can usually just rattle this stuff off the top of his head i can tell you this what i expect because uh i've spoken with uh joe moorhead a couple times over penn state is you will see more productivity not based on the uh, loss of experience or replacement at wide receiver it's just that they're going to expand that offense they went in on a pretty kind of a basic structure right it's um Easy to learn, difficult to master that offense, and they went in very simply. If you look at what he did at Fordham, it was I think they he came in they were like one and ten or one and eleven or something, and then they were like six and six, and then they won the the whole conference. So year they obviously had a much faster year one than even he expected, but you are going to see the the added wrinkle the like you know, I think I said this to him in an interview where it's like the two hundred level college course so to speak. They're going to advance that offense this year. Um, I don't know if you have anything off the top of your head with numbers, but they obviously made a tremendous jump in offense. And points scored, I know that they jumped up huge. I think at S&P Plus, they crawled into maybe the top 20 last year. Uh, on offense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were 18th. Um, and that was – see, I, you know, here's – I'm not worried at all about the Penn State receiving core, honestly, because um, – well, because a lot of this comes from Trace McSorley, I think. I, th- I think his yes. ability to – you know, they were second overall in passing S&P Plus, and they were 10th on passing downs. They had 
an uh, incredibly inconsistent running game last year. Saquon Barkley was, you know, they, well, it was just, it was their, their, their line was young. It was banged up again. Um, they've had all sorts of issues there over the last three or four years. It didn't just suddenly get better. Saquon Barkley had to make something out of nothing a lot, and they were behind schedule a ton. Uh, and McSorley's ability to, to extend plays. Uh, he really kind of had that passing downs prowess of being able to escape the pocket and, and, and continue to look downfield and, and throw accurately downfield. So then, when, so when you look at their uh, individual receiving stats, I mean, Godwin was great, 982 total yards. That's wonderful. But on a per-target basis, a lot of guys looked almost exactly like Godwin's. Uh, Godwin had, what, 60% catch rate and 16 yards per catch. Uh, DeAndre Tompkins had 59% catch rate and 16.3 yards per catch. Um, Blacknell had uh, 56% catch rate, but 23 yards per catch. Uh, Juwan Johnson, you know, had, had, well, two catches, but um, on down the list, I think a lot of that was a product of, of uh, of, of McSorley and the system both. Not that Chris Godwin wasn't good. He was clearly good. But I think he, it was replicable in some ways. I mean, and so I'm not at all worried about the Penn State receiving core. Penn State could maybe have one of the best offenses in the Big Ten, if not the best offense in the Big Ten next year. The, the, if the that line comes there. around. Yeah. You know, the, the fun thing about it is, I mean, the line held them back dramatically last year. Oh, no, they, it held them back dramatically. They only went 11-3. and three. Like, if they suddenly have a— Held them back dramatically and was really—you can say that you're right, but was still, like, functional for the first time since, since the scandal. Well, uh, well, possibly, yeah. I mean, I think you know, it's hard to say for sure how much Barkley created that. But Barkley's, I mean, like his down-for-down down, uh, like success rate and o- opportunity rate were really low. But they got sacked. Was- I mean, bef- the year before, the last year with Donovan and Hand and all those guys, uh, and Hackenberg, didn't Hack get sacked like almost 40 times? Yeah, actually, here, here, here are a couple stats that uh, we're, we're really close to agreeing here. But um, – Stuff rate, which is basically how many times were you stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, they played a pretty good defensive slate, but they were 119th in stuff rate last Ooh. year. They were 118th in power success rate last year. But they were suddenly only 25th in adjusted sack rate. I, I think that was McSorley. I think a ton of that was on McSorley. I think the line yeah. was absolutely bad. But bad in a way that if they get healthy and actually get experienced, it could at least be mediocre next year. If they were if they were number eighteen offense and eleven wins, a Big Ten champion, and two of their losses, they scored at least uh, thirty nine points as is. Uh, if they have a functional line, holy crap, that that easily offsets whatever they lost in the receiving core. Uh, before we move on, this is technically rapid fire. Uh, it just all goes back to that home run shot that they missed against Pittsburgh, and I don't mean that. In, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't mean that in context of they would be in the playoff if not for the fact that they did it. I love it. The fact that they had that attitude now, it's awesome. And they might have, they might have been in the playoff had they, had yeah. they connected. And, and in year two of an offense with a quarterback like McSorley, a developing offensive line that's, that's maybe actually respectably deep, that's when you start making those shots. And that's when um, Penn State could be really fun to watch. And they've been a lot – they've been interesting as a story. They have not been fun to watch up until about halfway through last season – I mean that. It's funny is that Ohio State game. I watched the replay. It's not fun to watch. It's, it's no, really no, that was a grind. That was, was their worst offensive performance of the year aside from Michigan. Um, Doctor Lawyer Man at Cali Spiral asks, "How long can the Lobos hold on to their coach before Notre Dame comes calling?" <laughs> um, I don't know. Oh, oh, hold on, I hold on. I have, uh, there we go. Okay. Um, I mean, do we go? Do we stay on Brandon Laud, uh, New Mexico, or do we pontificate on the on the end of the Brian Kelly era? Because for all of the the complete junk PR that he's doing right now about how he's different and he's a listener and he's more involved with his team, like he's I don't I I don't listen to a damn word of that. I all oh. I know is I like the coordinator hires he made. Um, I like the hires he made, but my God, it's amazing to see people just cape for Notre Dame in the yeah. National no, League. I. All of the all of the spring optimism stuff, all of the change man stuff, just ignore it. It's who who is he hired? You know who are the and you know I think that's probably a pretty good sign. I mean, obviously he just lost a good offensive coordinator, so that's not guaranteed to get better. But yeah. I mean, the offense was also really close to being really good. Defense was the issue, and three, two or three or whatever years ago when he hired Brian Van Gorder, everybody went, "Oh, are you sure about that?" Um, Which is the response really- to Brian Van Gorder at every place he's been. Right. And uh, a, a logical response for considering the, the results of the last few hires. But uh, the guy helped he hired this helped time. Helped win Aaron Rodgers a Super Bowl. Well, 
uh, yes. Um, but no, the guy, uh, the the white guy, um, really solid. So I mean, I would say, never mind all the change man stuff. If, if Brian Kelly's redemption happens this year, it's because he made a couple of really good coordinator hires, and that means a lot. So I do, um, I do find it amazing that. After a four and eight season at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly has found a way to spin all of that into positive PR about himself. Pretty impressive. Well, he gets help. the The PR department in general uh, is quite strong when it comes to the Irish, as you can read about in my book, "The Fifty Best College Football Teams of All Time." Watch Notre Dame on Corporate Partner NBC. Chris Tukey at Tukey Monster Seven. That's my favorite Twitter handle of the day. What is the ceiling time frame for Minnesota with PJ Fleck? Any threat to compete for a West Division title? Um, I'll do the first part. You can do the second part. Um, ceiling is going to be TBD, and time frame is going to be long. Um, if you're talking about time frame, I assume to compete for a Western Division title, uh, I would go with our standard two to three years, but they're going to give him time uh, to build and to do things the way he wants to and to also probably reshape that roster a little bit. Bill, I know you haven't done the Big Ten yet, but uh, threat to compete for a West Division title, eight? at the earliest uh, they were a threat to win it last year so 17 seriously oh. seriously oh. they lost last second to Penn State they lost by 7 to Iowa 7 to Nebraska four, uh, four, well 14 at Wisconsin but it was at Wisconsin um, they had a tremendous defense last year they uh, they were I mean I, I I don't feel bad for Tracy Clays I kind of know how he got into the trouble he got into but I think he w- did, he was uh, he did an, an incredibly underrated job last year. They're not so, winning, they're not competing for the. Well, who uh, what they're, they're supposed to be scared of? What Wisconsin and Iowa and Nebraska? Yes, I mean, that's damn it, the whole country that. ignores Wisconsin. I just did that. I did that Sam Jackson style. And, and I hope I, they burn I, in I hell. I will acknowledge that Wisconsin should be pretty damn good this year. But, uh, among other things, they do get Wisconsin at home. They get Nebraska at home. Um, they get Penn State. Well, no, wait, never mind. I was just doing home road in my head there. I don't know if they play Penn State this year. But, um, they, you know, I, it is going to be a change. Actually, I'm, gonna, I'm pulling up. This is uh, we're skewing from rapid fire. But there was a, a quick Minnesota email that we got that I wanted to go ahead and uh, address so now's a good time. It's from our friend Brandon Ayers. Okay, long time listener, first time caller. Love PAPN. Keep up the good work. Let's talk Gophers. PJ Fleck is installing his culture. Hashtag elite. Hashtag RTB. Hashtag skewma. Uh, but I'm wondering what the product on the field will look like. Minnesota's offense has been offensive, even to the biggest of homers. So I don't have concerns about going too far backwards, especially in the passing game. My concern is on defense. Defensive coordinator Rob Smith's tenure at uh, Arkansas was not trending in the right direction. Meanwhile, Tracy Clays and Jay Solville. Uh, had good things going on that side of the ball. Can I conti- expect a continuation of quality play based on field slash boundary responsibilities and creative schemes to generate pressure on quarterbacks? Or are we looking at soft zone coverage where DBs give a seven yard cushion on third and two? Um, Rob Smith's defense at Arkansas was pretty good when he had a super disruptive defensive line. And as soon as he lost that, he didn't, he, he didn't seem to necessarily want to take a lot of risks um, in terms of blitzing and whatnot, or at least that was the impression I got watching Arkansas that, or he just really wasn't good at it. And therefore you couldn't really tell. Um, but they definitely, they, they collapsed offense or defensively in 2015 and rebounded a little bit in 2016. Um, Cause he was still the, I'm not making that up. He was still the D coordinator last year. Right. Uh, Sounds good to me. Okay, sure. Uh, let's see. Let me, as please, you look that up, I would just like, yes, to, I would like to point out one of the most underrated I mean, do we call it cries, mottos? Ski you ma is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever talks about that. That's pretty cool. So basically, his three defenses at Arkansas, the first one ranked seventh when he had a a tremendous defensive line. Uh, His last two ranked 65th and 64th. So there's reason for concern there. And uh, if you look at what Minnesota does bring back next year, um, they've got, you know, what, a couple – Good linebackers and and defensive backs. It looks like for the most part, uh, I believe. I don't think Stephen Richardson went pro or anything, so they've still got him in the middle up front. Um, they lose Ekpe, they lose uh, both Ekpe's, I guess. So you know maybe they're a little thinner up there, but that's what I think it comes down to. If you've got a strong defensive line, he's fine. Uh, you could say that about most defensive coordinators, and that's the case here too. But. Uh, there's reason for concern because, like I just said, I do think Minnesota's defense was good last year. But, no, they they should – you know, Wisconsin should be the favorite, but they should absolutely head into next season thinking, you know, we, you know we've got uh, – 
new influences. The offense should be better. It can handle a little bit of defensive regression. We should absolutely be a top 30 or 35 team at least, and therefore one or two breaks away from competing for the Big Ten West. At JD Gonger 517 says, um, it's more of a request. I like when I get story assignments. Um, <laughs> deep dive by you on MSU football. Thinking ingrained in program like your PSU stuff. I'll buy you a beer and discuss SPHL. Uh, down for all that, JD. Um, it's just a matter of uh, letting your friendly university know if you want me <laughs> to ha- to do access pieces of colleges college programs. Um, it depends on my relationship with said college. So give the Spartans a holler, a polite one, please. Um, I I think I know. Yeah, I've dealt with Ben. They're they're eighty for, for comms. Um, they're very nice. Coach D'Antonio, a little dry. That's okay. I, I appreciate a dry wit occasionally. Um, but yeah. I'm ready when you are, Sparty. Um, uh, Bill, I think we we did we do we hit all of them? Oh, uh, at the Bropez, do y'all think basketball or baseball success has any impact on football recruiting? No. Um, um, the, the one tool that, uh, I was gonna say the one tool that I know of that like a Missouri would use at least back when they actually had people at their basketball games. Um, is that they would, you know, they'd, they'd have those Saturday official visits or, or December, not Saturday, December or January official visits on a Saturday, I guess. And if there was a home game that day, they'd bring them in and they'd get the crowd and the student section would, you know, chant the yeah. names of the big recruits and all that. So that's fine. That can't hurt. Uh, no, I don't uh, really, if I went back and looked at who they chanted for, I'm not real sure you'd find any massive success right there. Um, but it can't hurt, but I, I don't think it helps. It can't hurt, and if you're a smaller program that is trying to build a football identity um, and you, you're primarily known for basketball, just if you're trying to recruit kids from maybe far away from your campus, having that recognition of, oh, hey, I know them, that does help. I've had coaches say yeah. that before. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of reaching here. Um, and then I know that Kansas always sets up um, – big visit weekends around home games at the fog and that can't hurt because when you have an environment like that it's pretty awesome i know that uh when he was the head coach of kentucky joker phillips would talk about how he wanted to always use coach cal and and the program as an asset and build off of that i think it makes a lot of sense um i gotta go to look at their rankings and think yeah i mean that definitely helps a lot of this is just lip service but i do think it doesn't hurt i don't think you're ever in a situation in which it, it would hurt you uh for sure um, yeah, you use what you got. Exactly. Uh, I just don't know if it's going to catapult you to success. I'll ask like baseball too. I mean, you don't even have recruiting visits in baseball season. So I know that when David Cutcliffe got hired and first started to have success at Duke, that that his biggest advocate in that program was 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 Coach K, and and was very very much in favor of that because I, do, you know, when you have athletic programs with two good teams in in two different revenue sports it's tremendously beneficial for one another think like you know i don't know i think oklahoma is good at basketball anymore but like when when uh blake griffiths was, was there or like ohio Last state year oh were they i mean i don't know man um <laughs> i know washington and oregon are good at both football and basketball i know florida has won national titles and both ohio state um i don't is michigan good at basketball right now yeah pretty good Okay. They got hot. They they almost uh, ran off a runway last week, forgot their jerseys, and then won the Big Ten tournament. So yeah, I saw the plane thing. I mean, I really could not tell you thirty teams in the tournament. Um, <laughs> I have not done a bracket either. Was gonna have my um, have to go out of town for work, but uh, otherwise was going to have my my two and a half year old uh, fill out the bracket. Um, okay, Bill. Yes. We let's, let's do Buffalo real fast because we yeah, did have a I, listener ask us. Um, he tweeted at us last night when I was doing solicitation for questions. Ryan uh, Sigurdsson, I think, is going to be the guest on that last name. Yes. He had kind of politely mentioned that he had asked us a Buffalo question via email. We're going to talk about Buffalo, and then we're going to jump back into the top of the QSA because of some schedules came out. I want to speak on one thing. Um, Ryan says, hey, guys, love the podcast uh, uh, and like the listener from this week's pod. No idea what my podcast was. Uh, I will. I will also re-listen to older episodes on. Don't do that. <laughs> You're a serial killer. It's it. This, our our terrible oh. sound really is so much better than it was a year and a half ago. So let's let's not. I don't want to. I don't want right. to even think about how bad that sounds. I will give you a list of other podcasts to listen to. <laughs> I appreciate. I do appreciate your support, and if I could monetize it, I'd appreciate it more. But my gosh, um, thank you for listening. 
Uh, while I love watching and experiencing college football's regular season, I think your off-season pods are way more interesting. You know, we do, too. We, we think that, too. We actually, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a lot more fun ha- having to, to talk about whatever the hell we can think of instead of just reacting. His question is, what's going on at the University of Buffalo? Bill, I know how much you mentioned year zeros and that sometimes a new coach has to come in and hit a hard reset on a program before they climb up the rankings. But it seems like 2016 was another year zero for Lance Leopold. <laughs> UB was second and last, second to last in overall S&P Plus ahead of only Texas State. They had one game above a 25 percentile performance all year. Out of nowhere, a 41 to 20 bum rushing of Akron. Uh, no other podcast are you going to hear about us. 41 20 bum rushing of Akron. Uh, there might be promise with Friday. Okay, he goes into a depth chart thing here. Da, 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 da. Uh, was, 20, was 2016 a real year zero for UB? I don't think panicking now is prudent, but growth should be coming soon, right? Well, the volatility of the Mac can sh- uh, with the volatility the Mac could show year to year. A random bowl game could happen next year, but it seems pretty unlikely. Love to hear some of your thoughts about Leopold and the direction the program is headed. I was really excited and intrigued at the hiring, and really want to see my hometown, uh, in parentheses, where my sister went to school and both parents work at. Program get some Maction buzz. Thanks for slogging through this essay. Um, I would like to point out, this is the Turner Gill episode, because we're talking about Liberty and Buffalo in one podcast. That's very true. Bill, answer Ryan's question. Okay, thanks. Um, what, so, I love the generalizations. I love that year zero resonates with a lot of people, uh, because it does happen so frequently. But when, the, what you inherit still depends on, or d- dictates a lot of what you're able to do. So, Leipold came in last year. I think it's Leipold. Um, and... Uh, come to think of it, I've never actually heard it said out loud, so I've always just read it and assumed it's Leipold, or at least I haven't since Wisconsin Whitewater was on TV. Dabo Sweeney. Yeah. By the way, that is one fun thing about a podcast, is all the things you... Allegedly say, Ron. Yeah, Yeah, you find out about them. It's great. You got a few, buddy? (laughs) Yeah, so... uh, Buffalo. So Leipold, he, he walked in the door and inherited a reasonably okay situation from like a from a depth chart standpoint, from a, a, a general experience standpoint. So he walked in. He had uh, their quarterback in 2015. His name was Joe Licata. He was decent. Um, he threw you know 3,000 yards. They were able to kind of do a, a pass first offense. They were pretty efficient. They didn't have any big play guys, but they were efficient. So he has something to work with there. They won. They went five and seven. Definitely not a year zero. Second half of the year, they really had a nice little spurt where they crushed Ohio. They won a couple tight road games. They played decent down the stretch. They they let one go against uh, uh, UMass at home that they shouldn't have. That cost them a bowl bid. But they were still. They had a bunch of close losses. They had five wins. It kind of seemed like. It, well, it seemed like exactly what you would hope to see overall. You, you maybe want a couple more wins, but it looked like the program was in control moving forward uh, and that you could really kind of see where it might be headed under a, what we all assume is a very, very, very good football coach. So uh, year two comes, and in my preview of, of Buffalo last year, I was talking about maybe a fast start I get with uh, games against teams like Acre- or Albany and probably a bad Nevada, probably a bad Army, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they go out and lose to Albany. Uh, their freshman quarterback looks like a freshman quarterback. He, f- he fumbles at the goal line on a fourth and goal, and then he throws a pick, and the game's over. Uh, they get crushed by what ended up being an even worse than expected Nevada team. They did upset Army because Army was coming off a couple of big uh, efforts and, and, and built, if I remember right, built a lead, and then Buffalo came back at the, at the very end and won the game. They got crushed by Boston College. They got crushed by Kent State. They got crushed by Northern Illinois. They got crushed by, uh, well, uh, at Ohio in the revenge game. They're, I mean, they basically they had a chance in about three games last year, and they won two of them. They had a chance in four games, I guess, and won two of them, and they just the other game, eight games were hopeless. So that was the point of the preview I wrote today. Today was Buffalo Preview Day, and it was just basically like, so Buffalo what Buffalo Preview Day! Wah, wah, wah! Um, Keep going. Oh, nope, that's not... See, you just let me let me do the hype. You be smart. <sighs> you be smart, and I'll do well, the Well, I didn't hear I It called for something there. It uh, called for something. It called for something in the background. Just keep going. Um, so yeah, nonlinear growth happens. It is a thing that happens. And sometimes that, ha- you know, you collapse in the second year instead of the first, that's, that's fine. Um, 
the depth chart this year should be relatively experienced. They don't have a freshman quarterback anymore. He's a sophomore. Uh, the run game should be pretty good, but the, it's still kind of the balance is off. Like, so, okay, the, they should have a, a pretty good run game, a very good offensive line with a couple of seniors, um, pretty decent running backs. Great. Uh, they should have a pretty good pass defense, uh, which is great. Uh, great. They don't have any receivers to throw to. And their run defense last year was so bad that opponents never actually had to pass. Uh, between the fact that the offense was struggling and the run game was so um, <laughs> gracious, uh, the past, the fact that they had a good pass defense never actually mattered because opponents ran on them almost, prim- just primarily ran on them all year. So uh, I, I don't think the balance is there yet. We, it's going to be really hard for him to you know, have a good run game and a good pass defense with no run defense and no passing game. And, and so I don't think all the pieces are there. I don't necessarily – part of this is, you know – he isn't a miracle worker, and, and when you win, when you go like 107 and six at your first stop as a head coach, you kind of wonder like, God, is this guy just is he just everything he touches just magical and everything's gonna be great? It's not. Um, he ha- clearly has some things to learn himself, and that's fine. Um, and his recruiting is neither really better nor worse than his predecessor, uh, was his name Jeff Quinn. So I, th- I think you know. I don't think we've learned that he's a bad coach yet or that he's, that he's definitely not going to succeed. But if there's some sort of like third year leap, it's going to be kind of an out of nowhere thing, which happens. It happened to Wyoming, Craig Bull. We loved when Wyoming hired Craig Bull and then he stunk for two years, uh, especially in the second year where they backtracked just like uh, Buffalo did this year. And then they surged forward. So that's what you have to hope for is just that third year cultures in place. Got a bunch of guys who are in their third year under this guy. Uh, and everything falls into place. But just looking purely at the depth chart, you're looking at 2018 at the earliest. Boom! That was hardcore. Buffalo Buffalo Day! Still don't have an air horn. Bill, you got me. Yeah. You got me. That's all that matters. Okay. Who's going to win the old Conference USA before (laughs) I get on my soapbox? All right. Um, I, from a stat standpoint, Western Kentucky is absolutely still the favorite. Uh, but anytime a really, really, really good team that is drastically overachieving its recruiting rankings loses its head coach, I get really nervous, even if the, the guy who has been hired to succeed him looks like a good choice. I still think Western Kentucky is going to fade back to the pack quite a bit last uh, this, this coming year, which means that I do too. Louisiana Tech has a shot. Uh, Middle Tennessee has a shot. Southern like Miss has a shot. UPSA, like yep. Old Dominion. Yep. If Old Dominion has a quarterback – Oh, if ODU had a quarterback, I'd have put them in tier one in my power rankings because I really like basically everything else they've got. It's just they're starting from total scratch uh, at QB, and, and that, that makes me nervous. But uh, I, I would say that if Western Kentucky doesn't win it, the, for my first choice is Louisiana Tech because, as we know, I am a Skip Holtz homer. I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Ruston this summer just to – well, i got to go to Monroe for a wedding, but, you know, I'll just go to Ruston and we'll write it off. How about that? Um – Bill, here's why I ask. A couple things have happened in the last couple of days that are extremely on brand for us. And by the way, we just we talked about Notre Dame and Penn State, so don't give me crap, all right? We've got our P5 out of the way. Um, the Mountain West. Did you did you see this story? I'm doing like a stand-up comedian here transition. <laughs> Seriously, um, that's did, did you see this story, Bill? The Mountain West is not happy about their TV deal, right? They just said basically, you know what? Maybe we should just cut the cord on these jokers, right? Did you see this, Bill? I I did see this. Yes. Okay. Um, all joking aside, Schaefer. yeah. So the hey man, Letterman is. Did you read that interview? By the way, that was Fantastic. a tremendous, Fantastic. so Letterman-ish interview. Anyway, uh, my favorite part of that was Michael Stipe taking a selfie of the pic of him next to the cover <laughs> of David. They look exactly the same because I miss Letterman was- almost as much as I miss REM. Um, Bill, I'm looking at the UTSA schedule yesterday, and then I start looking at the other Conference USA schedules, all right? And you know what I see, Bill? What do you I see? see? I see Saturday after Saturday after Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. Yep. And then, Bill, I look at the MAC schedule, and what do I see, Bill? Uh, well, if you're looking at November, you don't see a single Saturday. And by the way, I think I, I hate see that. Tuesday. Anyway. I see Wednesday. I see Thursday. I see Tuesday at 1 p.m. They'd rather play a football game. So here's the problem. 
we watch these Mac games every year, and we notice just the really diminishing, diminishing, diminishing crowds, interest, apathy. Really, also really questionable scheduling philosophy on ESPN's part as to who is going to appear on these these weeknight games. Yeah. I know they have to put them in stone, but there have been some big misses. You know, like you probably knew the year that Miami of Ohio was going to go two and ten that they didn't need to be on like two consecutive weeknights, right? <laughs> Unless they were just a feeder for the for the other school, whoever they happen to might you know be playing that week. But we've seen, I think, at least two or three matchups last season where we had 500 or below on both sides of the ball. It's not good. And then I look at UTSA and I look at Middle Tennessee State and I look at Western Kentucky. They don't have any opportunity to shine. Now, if I'm making my Their bold, opportunities to shine are by pulling upsets against Power 5 teams. Buried. Uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Time it, slots, yeah. Here's what I'm getting at. Buried on the Saturday slate, Right. Western Absolutely. Kentucky had a pretty the SEC uh, network. Yeah. Yes, and the yeah. SEC network helped Western Kentucky a little bit in that, like the Vanderbilt game got moved to Thursday night on Labor Day opening opening weekend. But so we look right now on the 2017 Western Kentucky schedule, and and I can already tell you, I looked at UTSA, UTSA schedule. They have two games that would be of interest if you had a more captive audience that wasn't watching their own Power Five team play on a Saturday afternoon. They open with Houston. What a great game, right? Huge questions. Two great coaches. Um, two coaches that are trying to fit. Like, I mean, year two for Frank Wilson, year one for Major Applewhite, Tillman Fertitta, the big megaton booster, saying we expect you to win 10, and 10 games every year. It's fantastic. <laughs> but it's on a Saturday. So it's going to get buried. Why not put that game on opening weekend on a Friday, on a Monday, on a Thursday? And then they go to Baylor. Same thing on a Saturday. Okay, UTSA at Baylor is not going to move a needle. But Frank Wilson, what if they pull an upset? What if something dynamic happens, right? Totally possible, no offense to Matt Rule, putting in a new offense, putting in a new defense, changing the culture, whatever, at, uh, at Baylor. UTSA could come to ball. All right, here's Western Kentucky. So here's my point. After that, pff, nothing. It's all Saturdays against other Cusis schools, and it's just not going to move the needle. So here's Western Kentucky's schedule. Same problem. Saturday, 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 Saturday. There isn't a game on here if Western Kentucky is as good as they were last year when they were completely ignored. They're at Illinois on Saturday, September 9th. No. They play in what could be the two best teams in the conference. They play Louisiana Tech Saturday. Nobody's going to watch that game. No one's going to watch that game. Western Kentucky... Again, hosting Lane Kiffin's FAU Owls. Nobody's going to watch that game. Saturday, October 28th. Why is your TV deal so bad, Cusa? So here's here's my half-hearted counterpoint. It's not a full-on counterpoint because I agree, I agree uh, pretty significantly. But the two, uh, number one, I, you know, we, we have now taken the max scheduling practices to their logical extreme, and I hate it. A logical extreme? I mean, I think at this point you're you're hurting the programs by making them play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday. Right. You know, to me that's right. ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it's a logical extreme in that we we all kind of joked that this is what they did anyway, and so they basically said, okay, well, let's do that then. Um, but it is going to be it's it's rough as a fan. It's just going to be like, how are you an alum who lives in like if you what's a good example? If you are a Miami, Ohio alum that lives in Columbus, like you have to make that trek. Like if you have season tickets, you got to make like a couple of Tuesday treks or if you're yeah. going to a road game on a Wednesday or something. That's you know, that's I, I'm. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about you know Thursday night games. How after one of them they kind of lose their draw. If you're like a power conference team, it sounds like a great idea, and then you're like, oh man, this sucks. Um, they do that every like it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I, they, I, I guess this comes down to what you're looking for most, and and this is where Conference USA might have a point in doing what they're doing. TV's awesome. TV's money. But so is fans having a reason to come to town every Saturday at 1 o'clock or, or noon or 4 or whatever it is. Here's my counter so, to that. Well, I mean, there are plenty of good counters to that because TV money uh, exists. One, TV money and exposure for these coaches and these players is far more important than the tepid, the tepid draw at the gate that you're getting at some of these programs. I can tell you firsthand, having done home games at MTSU, at Western Kentucky, at Southern Miss, at 
on down the line, it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt them that much. I promise, it's not. There are some places that pop pretty strong. Honestly, like Marshall can can really do yeah. like a, yeah, Marshall a great can. a great home crowd. Oh, La Tech can on occasion as well. Yep. The, I, it, that is like third or fourth on the list of priorities here. The fact so, that you're not gonna let, let me just say this. Let's just say you're you listen to this podcast even and and you're interested in the whole the entire college football picture and the depth and the and all of that right but you are you're an Ohio State fan okay yeah I know this even I am paid to consume this this content <laughs> and and disseminate it with you right and I even as a reporter who has to go out and do some random story on a Saturday I you know I talk about on the podcast all the time about having to catch up but I still get that luxury at Tuesday at 9 a.m I pour a cup of coffee I can watch the replay of some Big Ten or ACC game because that's my job right if you listen to this podcast you are and you are not 22 you probably don't have that much time okay and you may want to know about these like up-and-coming coaches like what Jeff Brom did last year at Western Kentucky and you're home on a Thursday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night. But come Saturday, you're driving to Columbus, or you're, or you're getting together with your friends, and, and you're going to watch like the Florida State game, and then maybe whatever's going on in the SEC. And then that night, you're going to watch Ohio State, Penn State. Okay, and that's normal. That's the normal consumption schedule. It doesn't make you a bad fan. It makes you a normal human being. On a Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday night, I'm not trying to go after what ESPN does with their ACC and Pac-12 contracts. Like, that's fine. You know, I thought Stanford, Washington on a Friday night made a lot of sense. Instead of watching 100 people watch Ball State in Northern Illinois, why not have the opportunity to say, hey, world, world at large, meet Frank Wilson, UTSA head coach. Meet Jeff Brom, now Mike Sanford, WKU head coach, right? And this goes on even in the Mountain West, you know? I don't think people, I don't think half the people in the South remember that Mike Bobo is the head coach of Colorado State right now. <laughs> Craig Bull in Wyoming. What kind of major exposure has Craig Bull gotten at Wyoming other than freaking podcast ain't played nobody? Well, put a pen in that one, uh, finish, and then um, my counter to your counter to my counter. Oh, okay. Well, what is exposure? Is it um, having a camera, like, you know, the max style, having a camera, having the camera set up in your stadium in front of 38 people, um, which is exposure of a potentially bad game that nobody will watch, but you yeah. got to see you were on TV. Okay. Uh, or is exposure, holy crap, Middle Tennessee just beat Missouri. They're, they seem to be getting things together. Um, like the, the way it's set up for Conference USA now, if you pull an upset, it was probably on TV and you get the highlights, you get a nice re- highlight reel going. If you're Wyoming and you uh, beat Boise and, and your safety does a, or your, uh, you got the safety dance in the end zone and you win the division, then I think, I think Craig Ball actually got a, a decent amount of exposure last year. I'm telling um, you, I'm, dis- I'm disagreeing with you in that we are in a bubble that the rest of the world oh, yeah. is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that I, safety I, I, dance <laughs> happened at like 1 a.m. on Saturday night. Well, it couldn't happen at one a.m. because I was awake for it. Um, but regardless, <laughs> it was late. It was late enough. Nine thirty. But so I mean, yeah, I, I get it. I get that we're in a bubble. I get that ninety tw- percent of the country doesn't use Twitter as its sports bar on a Saturday night. But I don't know what just like being on TV on a Tuesday night or people going, "Oh God, I don't want to watch this." I don't. I don't. I don't have an answer here, by the way. But I don't instinctively think that's automatically better. I do think I think, I think it's better when you catch the program at the right time. Jeff Brom and Western Kentucky. True. It was shocking to me, like hardcore college football fans, when I'm forced to be social by my wife, when my oh, human credential. Oh, sorry. When she takes me into events where people ask me what I do for a living, and then they're like, "Oh, I went to Alabama or Auburn or whatever." Duh, duh, duh. No one knew about Western Kentucky last year. Okay. Just by contrast, here's the difference, and this is a weak example. It's still better. 2017 Boise schedule. They have a game at Washington State that's on a Saturday. But it will probably get more coverage than a CUSA team will because Boise's built their brand up. Two weeks later, they play Virginia on a Friday night in Boise. So they get they pretty much get the evening there. Two weeks after that, at BYU on a Friday night. So as Boise goes every year and potentially flirts with some sort of like playoff relevance, maybe that's diminishing now, they get those national pops to where, and really they should do a better job because as you go down the slate, after that BYU game, they have nothing but a stretch of Saturdays as well. But at least they get one or two windows to display themselves, right? That's 
the Boise difference. BYU is a little different because they're an independent and they'll just they have a separate carriage agreement with ESPN and also they have really no concern for like regionalism or like local high school. None of that really exists for them. By the way, let's do a real quick Boise uh, BYU schedule. Tell me what you think about this one. This is not as good as last year off the top of my head, but it's not bad either. Um, open the season. Whoa! They're playing on August 26th, Bill. Oh, they are? Did you know or about who this? Are play- who are they playing on August 26th? Portland State? Oh, that's right. There are like five or six games that weekend now. We've uh, Bracket Creep has has made it to week one oh of college. God, football. ladies and gentlemen, live on the air, I have discovered a news item of extreme <laughs> PAPN, PAPN I was, brand relevance. I was about to say, let's not bill it as much more than that, but okay. Oh, my God. They're playing. Oh, I don't like that at all. Uh, August 26th, they start the season. I thought they started the season with LSU. They start the season at home with Portland State. It's very wrong and against God's wishes. <sighs> Saturday, September 2nd in Houston, they play LSU. They're home for Utah. I'm sure nothing violent will happen there. Uh, they Ooh, home for Wisconsin. Wisconsin, you yep. stupid. Uh, bye week at Utah State. Home for Boise at Mississippi State. At Eastern Carolina. Home for San Jose. At Fresno. At UNLV. Home for UMass at Hawaii. Kind of fades off there down the stretch. That's how it always does. Yeah, it gets obviously it gets harder and harder as schools go into the meat of their conference schedules. But not bad, not bad. Two yes. SEC programs out of the West, right? Both of which LSU will be a national title contender in some respect. Mississippi State will probably have a bowl season. Um, you play your annual games against Boise. You get Utah, good Utah team. Wisconsin at home, nice. Yeah, nice. Not bad. Not really, the, not really a part of my rant right now. I was just curious what the schedule looked like. I, I think my biggest, the biggest thing that could help BYU um, from a status standpoint at this point, other than just freaking winning all their damn games, that would be awesome. Um, funny enough, the Mountain West improving would still be a big thing for BYU because that's usually who they end up playing. That, that November schedule is usually like UMass is desperate for a date. That's fine. Yeah. They, they have fit uh, like a, a, a late season FCS opponent in there at times. One, but two, three, playing it. four, five Mountain West schools this year. Hawaii, UNLV, Fresno, San Jose, Boise, Utah State. So six. Um, I don't know. But – yeah, you're right. But yeah, so I mean, that's if if the Mountain West were actually to get its act together, like I think Conference USA might be, um, and you know Fresno State was actually Fresno State again. Hawaii was uh, you know scary again at least. You know UNLV I think might be getting its act together. That'd be great. Um, then they would have another couple of opportunities. Now it wouldn't necessarily help them a ton because they want to be bigger than the Mountain West. So having a competitive games against the Mountain West and maybe losing those games isn't necessarily the best thing. But in terms of just keeping them relevant, uh, having more relevant games is a pretty good way to do that. Don't want to join the Mountain West. The scheduled six of their teams. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's, hey, that's that's a great if you that's a great racket if you can pull it off. Um, We're about to go but, home here because we have an abbreviated episode. But I just sorry. Wanna, I want to impart on anybody who's listening who has this power, which is none of you. You have a TV network. Maybe you have like a large streaming device. I think I think we should call up Jim Bankoff, who runs Vox Media, and see if we can get the Mountain West rights. Because we would do it. We would do it right. We would oh, yeah. Do it good. We would do it really good. So we would give you the weeknight game, the, you know, the display case game. We'd let you know all about your San Jose states, your San Diego states. Oh, God. Just... And then... We would do drunk Saturday night, like 10.30 Eastern kick. We would do that right. We'd treat y'all good. And you know we would. I don't, like know, the, I don't know if the Mountain West wants it branded that way, but I, I mean, personally, I think they should just look at the numbers. Like, like the prisoner who gets shot said in Shawshank, just give me that chance. Just give me that chance, and then we will shoot the Mountain West in the back as it tries to escape us. Is that was that what you're going for there? Uh, no, but that's fine. Okay, all right, Bill. Um, as the as the slog continues, we leave yes. the ass end of the Mac. So by the time we meet up again next week, we'll be on the face end of the Mac. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The ass end's pretty big. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Tell me about got, it. 
Kent State tomorrow. We've got Bowling Green Friday, who who suddenly was terrible. Uh, Akron on Monday. Central Michigan on Tuesday. Miami, Ohio on Wednesday. Ohio on Thursday. Ball State on Friday. You know, it's, it's really another week and a half before we get to the particularly solid MAC team. So we're still solidly in the ass next week. <clears throat> we're not doing phrasing anymore, Bill? No, no, not even close. Okay, all right. Um, abbreviated version is about to end. Uh, thank you, uh, as always, for listening. Um, I don't have the read in front of me. Follow Bill at SBN underscore Bill C on the old tweeter machine. I am at 38Godfrey. I will be on assignment for most of the week. Um, but, you know, you guys are going to carry us or you're not. The responsibility is yours until we get actual spring football to talk about. Or we, we've been remarkably Ugh. scandal-free. I was about to say I'm 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 not gonna. I'm not. Out, I'm not bringing on as long as no one gets hurt. I want like. Well, I mean that's the only thing. We're not gonna react to actual spring football anything other than scandals. So. Well, you see what happens on spring football, and I should clarify before we leave. Bill and I don't care about the games, but what happens is that you get little news items that come out of those. Not so much injuries or comebacks, but you do get some media people acting dumb. So we get to play off of that, right? Like whoever the spring football <laughs> champion is gonna be. Then you also get coaches who get visited by media like like me, like this yeah. Jamoke, and they get a little loose-lipped. And so then you get items that spin out of that. So you start to build up a little bit of a conversation cycle from there. Okay. Um, and then, you know, then the weather's warm outside, and like six schools with listeners on our podcast have college baseball that distracts them for a little while. And then, bam, it'll be summer before you know it. We'll be amping up. We'll be doing dumb previews. Might be time for me to dig up a new time capsule. <laughs> yeah. What did I do? Six and a half out of ten? Seven and a half out of ten? Uh, I think I gave you seven and a half, which was really generous, but... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm a that's damn soothsayer. All right, uh, do you want to do this again next week? I mean, we don't have to. Well, you're from... Uh, play- hey! Yeah! You extended just long enough, and it's an out-of-area number, too. Ooh. Yes, let's do this next week. Will you get rid of that damn phone? I did, and then it showed up again because we had to use it as the base for blah. (sighs) See you next week.